This episode of the Getting Smart Podcast is part of our new Pathways campaign. What is something you used to think that you've changed your mind about? It's time for us to do that with all things learning. Previous Getting Smart campaigns have laid the groundwork of networks, place, purpose, and innovation. Our latest effort, the new Pathways campaign, will serve as a catalyst for unbundling education to allow for new learning models that are sustained by support and guidance and embedded in scalable systems. In partnership with ASA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Stand Together, and the Walton Foundation, the new Pathways campaign will question education status quo and propose new methods of giving students a chance to experience success in what's next. Find out more at gettingsmart.com backslash new pathways. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm New Pathways Senior Fellow, Trace Pickering. And today I'm excited to be joined by Jim Bailey, who is director and co-founder of Rock Tree Sky, a self-directed learning center in Ojai, California. Rock Tree Sky provides learner-centered experiential education space where learners and mentors are supported to follow their unique learning journey. Rock Tree Sky cultivates an inclusive learning community with a goal of developing the whole self through learning in relationship with others. Jim, welcome. Oh, it's good to be here, Chase. Uh, glad to talk with you. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, give, give people a little bit of background on, on you here quick, and then we'll roll. Uh, Jim's been teaching at o- in the Ojai Valley for 22 years, and he brings his learn-by-doing approach from his science classroom setting, as well as years of youth mentoring through the um, Ojai Valley Youth Foundation to his work in learner-centered education. His current work interests focus on the invention of community-based ecosystems of learning, learning space design, and the credentialing of off-site learning experiences. Uh, In his spare time, if there is any, uh, he's a certified California naturalist and enjoys studying the geology, insects, microinvertebrates, and birds of the Ojai Valley. His love of the natural world and of people is also expressed in his volunteer work as a member of the Upper Ojai Mountain Search and Rescue Team, and he is an amateur astronomer and the father of four daughters. Wow, you got me beat by two daughters. That's good for you. That's two is tough. I can't imagine. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still waiting for the prize in the mail on that one, but uh, I think it's going to pay out later. But uh, yeah, what a, you know, it's just a blessing. Yeah, awesome. Um. So it seems like uh, Ojai Valley has been home to you for a long time. It has life there. Um, no, I you know I got I got found at the uh, local teacher job fair when I was uh, graduating from Cal Poly, and I, I'd seen the sign for Ojai as I drove back and forth to visit family over the years, and I always wondered what was there, and uh, I went and I took a look around as a beginning teacher at the age of thirty one, and I thought, wow, this could be a really nice spot to do this work. Um, and I wasn't wrong. It's been, it's been a blessing. Uh, it's a lovely community. Um, and, uh, just a a great place to be a teacher. A lot of opportunities to, to share about the natural world and, uh, the families are are pretty supportive and receptive. So. All right. Great. Well, I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you. I've, I've gotten to know Jim through our shared work with a group called education reimagined. And, uh, we, we definitely, recognized pretty quickly we were kindred spirits and so that's it's been fun to get to know you so i'm really excited today to talk about uh, rock tree sky um 
it's an interesting approach to transforming education because you're kind of doing it outside the system, but it seems to be working fantastically. I would love to know the origin story. How, how did how did you and your wife started it? Correct. That, that's correct. You know, and and largely, probably a little bit by accident. Um, you know, we were both teachers. I, I'd been teaching in the classroom for 15 years. Uh, I had um, ended up at a progressive private school in town where I, I met my wife. And, you know, she was becoming a little disenchanted with the amount of even worksheets that were coming home in the second grade uh, for her daughter. And so she was invited to a kind of a homeschool parents group and uh, via Facebook, and they had a meeting. And so I thought, well, I'll tag along, right? And uh, we went, and at this meeting, there's about 15 families, uh, several of whom I knew from this school that I was at at the time. And it, it kind of turned into one of those, those standoffs, like from the old Spaghetti Westerns, where they were looking at me, and I'm looking at them. And you know, they're saying, what are you doing here? And I'm saying, what are you doing here? And they say, would you be the science teacher for this thing? If we started a, a kind of, this is before COVID started kind of a pod kind of support space. And, you know, I, I said, well, I don't know if we should both leave our jobs at the same time. Um, I don't know how intelligent that sounds, but we did uh, ultimately after doing a little math on the, on the back of the envelope. And so we started with about 15 families uh, and a 600 square foot commercial space that we registered as an arts and crafts education space so that it could fly. And I created a maker space and, you know, she had her little reading nooks and we had the sewing and we just started from there. And that was in 2016. And uh, little did we know that I think we were just at a certain edge of a, of a big shift that, you know, you and I obviously know is, is here. And, uh, it just grew and grew and grew till now, you know, we have 200 learners and, uh, we rent, uh, a school campus from the district that uh, was surplused. Very good. So, um, is it privately funded tuition funded public monies from the school district, a little bit of everything? What, how are you? How yeah, that's, evolved? I'm assuming it's evolved over time. Right. Uh, super important question. It is a, some of each of those. It is fee-based uh, primarily. And then in California, it turns out that independent study school ed code in California allows independent study schools to pay vendors for enrichment services. And so when we first started, uh, families started finding us that were enrolled in these um, California independent study schools. You know, sometimes we use the term homeschool charter, but in, there's really no state law related to homeschool. They just call it an independent study school. And so they give them money to the tune, you know, because they're not running a brick and mortar space. They'll give these families monies for approved educational vendors and support systems and enrichment. And we became an approved vendor for several of those organizations. And so that helped some of those families with access. Of course, families that did not want to be involved and were truly out of system uh, and doing, you know, filing a private school affidavit and truly kind of what we would consider as homeschooling, those families could just pay out of pocket. You know, with our current budget, it's about 50% uh, coming from a local public school district partnership that we created, uh, another 20% coming from these homeschool charter schools, and then another 30% coming from families buying extra days 
of, of services. Excellent. So tell me about a, you know, what's a student day? Do they come during their school day? Do they get some, do they get credits back at their school? Is it an after school or summer program or a little bit of everything? What's, what's it look like for a student? Yeah, we're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. They, being independent study, they're doing their learning in all sorts of places. And their independent study program, I hope, for the most part, is is allowing the families to bring in uh, experiences and learnings that are happening in various places in that child's life. You know, certainly some teachers are giving some some particular assignments, uh, but they're also... I know pretty flexible in working with families to create projects that are meaningful for the learners. You know, I think there's a real opportunity for that constructivism model that many of us teachers get into this uh, work to do. Uh, so they would come, most families, most kids come to us about two days a week and they can do things while they're at our program, like a science activity with me or one of my mentors, uh, Peter or an art project, or write a skit, or whatever they might want to do. They can do those things, and then if their teacher finds that creditable, they can use that for credit, and oftentimes they do. Um, if they don't, if they just use their time to to do other sorts of things that they that can't be credited by their teacher, then they have to certainly make up that, that uh, education responsibility to whatever school they're beholden to uh, later at home or sometime with their parents. And uh, yeah, so I'll jump into like just a basic rhythm of a day. Uh, learners arrive on campus at around nine. Uh, you know, it's, it can be a soft start. We just recently got a school bus uh, support from the district from the lower part of the valley. It's about a 12 minute drive to where our campus is. And so the bus gets there about 915. So, you know, it's a soft start. We don't hand out any tardy slips. We're just kind of get started right around 915, 920. And we, we start in small groups. Every learner has a dedicated adult mentor, kind of like a homeroom teacher, right? Advisor type of uh, teacher that they start their day with. And then that, that teacher mentor shares what's on offer for the day. You know, every day kind of has a daily menu, if you will. And then we, we start with setting intentions, right? What, what's your intention for the day? Do you have any goals? Do you have any carryover from the last time you were here? finished project. So that teacher can, you know, have a sense of how that learner might need some support with uh, their intentions for the day. And then, you know, they go, then they're they're able to go and start their day and go to the things that they want to do. Maybe they want to, you know, get together and check in with their friends, set up a gaga ball pit game for later or something like that. Uh, So they'll do that. We'll basically go till noon Everybody stops and eats lunch together, um, you know, within a general area, 1230, they're back at it, 230, we all stop, ring a bell, got, we got rid of the, the intercom, you know, the, like the loud over the intercom system, but we've got a kind of an old school bell will ring and we all clean up for about 10 to 15 minutes. And then we go back to those same bands and what started with intention setting ends with reflection and kind of any unmet needs and a sharing of learning. Uh, and so the mentors can capture some of that and, uh, and maybe help them with whatever the next steps are. And that's, that's the rhythm of our day. How do teachers, because uh, one of the things I think teachers might immediately think is, wow, every day I got to come up with stuff to do and offer a menu. What, so how have you managed that, figuring out what kids are interested in and, 
and finding that place where teachers are comfortable uh, and can create stuff on either on the fly or, you know, in short bursts, just kind of, what does that look like? What, what did they call it when we were back in our programs? Uh, the emergent lesson, you know, you definitely have to have a toolkit that you feel comfortable with. And uh, it can be for some folks asking a lot. That's why it's really essential in learner centered spaces like this, that we find the right folks uh, who want to do this type of teaching. You know, there's, there's some consistencies uh, generally, you know, a lot of teachers will take kind of a, a topic or a challenge and kind of run it through the week because, you know, recall there are different learners on different days, you know, so I might have a certain child here on Tuesday, Thursday, and have a different set of kids on Monday, Wednesday, you know, it's kind of maybe less than two handfuls of learners that come five days a week because they're out at, you know, doing independent study work or out in other places with their, their families out, out in the ecosystem, you know, uh, so, so they can kind of take a key idea and kind of work with it through a week. And then beyond that, they're checking in, you know, with the learner. A lot of times there's an appointment made. If a kid wants to do a woodworking project with our, our builder, Spence, um, they'll check in with Spence and he'll say, Hey, one o'clock, I've got time, you know, I'll come get you. Let's, let's one o'clock meet in the wood shop. Uh, so we'll do stuff like that. There's like, you know, think of it like studio hours. There's like studio times where certain things are open and getting supported and then there's times where you might make stuff by appointment. But after a while, the kids really get the lay of the land and they they dive in and do their own stuff. You know, they'll say, oh, I'm going to be at the stop motion station today and they'll get their buddy and the clay and they'll go over and just do stop motion, make make their movie or be in the music room. And so there's there's a real uh, it just feels like it's a really comfortable ebb and flow of how learners need the mentors. And sometimes we're freed up and, you know, you can have, when I was first doing this, having been a classroom teacher, sometimes I felt unneeded, you know, they were just going about their business and, you know, I, I struggled, I'll be honest, you know, I was a pretty good edutainer and, uh, I was, you know, making things happen at the front of the room, but, uh, you know, so I, we, in those times we move around and that there's active work of really witnessing kind of, you know, paying attention to what they're doing and what we're seeing so that we can then ask more questions about that later to, you know, kind of extend uh, the learning opportunity or help them see what might be next. You know, I, I see it as a real Dewey-esque kind of way of doing things. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of John Dewey and the pedagogical progressive movement. And I, I think that we, we made a mistake when we walked away from that back in 1918. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing Dewey back as the nice. kids say. All right. Excellent. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Um, so rock tree sky. I mean, I've seen the video and I mean, the Ohio Valley is gorgeous. So I have a pretty good sense of why you named it that, but yeah. tell us. Yeah. Yeah. And the teens, I have to tell you in the early days, the teens really said, Jim, can we change it please? You know, when you have to tell your, your high school teenage friend that you go to rock tree sky, you know, uh, that, that, that was tough at first. They love it now. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. Uh, the ones who've kind of stayed with us. Um, so, so we're not a forest school, although we do have a license to use the local national forest. that's just down the road. Uh, but you know, so when I was thinking of expanding some, you know, stretching what I was going to do educationally, I was talking to a buddy of mine who uh, I met at the skate park, uh, older, 
older guy like me, old guys club at the skate park. And, uh, this guy had a business where he did, he did, um, production and he actually made a, a show that was on fuel TV called built to shred. And they built these different skateboarding spaces and, uh, in unique places. And then professional skaters would come in and skate them. And I told him about this idea to create this business. And he said, Hey, you've got to have three words because all the good two word domain names are already gone. They're taken. So you, you, when you come up with your business name, it needs to be three words. I thought, okay, that, that makes sense. You know? And so as I was driving home, uh, one day and I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the name and, uh, this old story that I'd read, this old short story by Carson McCullers came to me, um, from back in the mists of time. And it was called, uh, a tree, a rock, a cloud. And I thought, you know, well, I'm a science teacher. A tree's kind of like bio rock is like geology cloud that could be, you know, I could switch it to sky and then that's about, you know, astronomy and, and everything. And so I went home and I read the story and the message was so poignant to me about this older gentleman telling a young man at this, this coffee counter back in the, you know, probably forties or something, just saying that, you know, that, that, that our great mistake is trying to, to learn to love very complicated things too soon and that we need to learn to love a rock. We learn, need to love a tree a cloud and then, then we're ready. And I thought, yeah, you know, learning to love the little things. And so, you know, it, it went from there and, uh, and, and here we are, there's been times where I thought, oh, there's probably a better name out there somewhere, but, but I, I can't, I can't walk away from it at this point, I guess. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's a great story. Awesome. So, um, I know having done some of this same work, starting, starting up new schools and programs that, you, you, you rely on others. So I'm really curious as to um, what spaces and places inspired you as you thought about your design, like you, you heard about this place or that, like that, I'm going to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What are, what have been mm-hmm. some of your influences? Oh, such a good question. We just looked to Iowa big and then we just said, what are they, what are they doing? They're so good. <laughs> Shout out to trace and Iowa big. We, we definitely, um, no, we didn't discover you all till later. So what inspired us? What were the spaces that inspired us? You know, certainly um, Natasha, my my wife who co-founded this and, and really, you know, it, it was her idea. She she had, you know, knew about Sudbury, um, you know, so she'd even gone and looked at a Sudbury when she was a high schooler. She's one of those young people who liberated herself from high school after her sophomore year and, and just and then took a year kind of, eh, and then the, her, what would have been her senior year, just enrolled in community college and took off from there and, you know, just, just rocked it. But high school was not, was not feeling good. was not a place where she was able to thrive. And, uh, so knew about Sudbury, um, Summerhill, certainly Summerhill was a more of an influence for us than Sudbury because, uh, I like the idea of offering things to learners. You know, I know that Sudbury says, Hey, let the, the, the children choose. And certainly we do have kind of a non-coercion policy and we try not to bring our adult ideas around, you know, hierarchy of value of what's important to learn and when, but we, we were more inspired by Summerhill and we were kind of going along with that where we were offering, uh, you know, classes, workshops, uh, and then letting kids choose. And then about six months in, we didn't have a lot of structures to help the kids with their self-direction. About six months in, we discovered the agile learning center network. 
and they have a toolkit online, about a 90-page document. We made a donation and uh, downloaded their toolkit, though they offer it for free to anybody out there who wants to check it out. And it had a lot of structures, you know, Kanban board stuff taking from the agile systems approach, you know, that I think came out of some, uh, I don't know, like, uh, I guess, computer development stuff. And so we started using that. And then a few months after that, my daughter, who uh, works at our local really super cool used bookstore, Bart's Books in Ojai, she found Education Reimagined. And she sent me a text and she said, hey, dad, have you ever seen these these folks? Sounds like it's right up your alley. So then Natasha and I went to the Education Reimagine website, and of course we were just we were blown away. We thought, oh, this you know our people, right? Before we kind of felt like we were in this little bubble, and once we were on the Ed Reimagine site, we were on the map. We were looking at Workspace, uh, that amazing program that Catherine created out there. We were looking at Iowa Big, you know, all we became you know fanboys of all these amazing educational spaces, and and we were heartened by the work, you know. And I remember early days we tried to set up you know, kind of that offsite uh, partnerships like Iowa Big does. Um, and we invited, we had five organizations that were going to come up and, and speak to our teens. And we didn't do enough handholding, I think. And I think like three of them chickened out two weeks out. And they're like, you know, I think they, they just didn't know what, you know, what are we going to say to these teens? And uh, so, so uh, you know, that was a lesson there. But but that that's kind of, those are some of our inspirations. And certainly, you know, the philosophies of John Holt, Dewey, just, you know, the, the Peter Gray is free to learn, um, you know, just the idea that, that as parents and somebody who's worked with kids for 15 years in the classroom, realizing kids want to learn. They do. Everybody wants to be successful members of their community. Uh, they may not necessarily want to learn, but I think they should learn when I think they should learn it. And, you know, so we try to, uh, to bring that, that greater trust and all those things that one can learn when, when we look into self-determination theory and, and how that affects intrinsic motivation. So we're that's we're all about that. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's um, that's one of the things we discovered too is the traditional education just does not. They almost ignore curiosity as if it's something that you you should have later or after school. And it's like curiosity is such a powerful learning tool. If I'm curious about something, boy, now I'm I'm interested in the science behind it. I'm interested in the language arts behind it. The history. You don't have to coerce me anymore. I'm stepping to it. It's just yeah, you're going to move heaven and earth to get it. You know, I, I'm I'm a similar way, Trace, and I think a lot of I think you know biologically, I think we are as learners. You know, I'm I'm more interested in you know sometimes learning looks obsessive, right? You know, I I know me, I, I'm a little obsessive when I get really into something. Uh, I got into beekeeping a few years back, and literally, I would read about beekeeping, and then I would listen to this podcast from the National Honey Show with these experts about bees for two hours. And I would find YouTube videos. I would talk to, you know, you couldn't, you have three hours a day, you know? So that's, I, I think that a lot more folks are like that. And in that kind of 54 minute class period time that I worked within the framework of in junior high, you know, it, it really interrupted things from time to time. And, and then the other, the other thing I saw that broke my heart is as I started to um, bring in more learner choice into my classroom when I was teaching sixth grade, I'd have kids literally ask me when I'd give a kind of a free learning opportunity, I'd have young people ask me, well, what do you think I should be interested in, Jim? 
And that, you know, that breaks your heart to see a bright, intelligent, young, you know, 11 year old young lady say, what, what should I be interested in? And I realized, wow, what are, what are we doing here? You know, uh, I read a book a few years ago, um, uh, about curiosity. It was curiosity research. The name escapes me in the moment, but basically the takeaway was curiosity thrives on two, two essentials. And one is freedom and the other is novelty. So, you know, we try to, in a space like ours, we try to, uh, use strewing, you know, we try to put out interesting novel things and shift it over time and just see, you know, give them the freedom to see if that's something they're into today or not. Yeah. And yeah, that's, it, it reminded me of our conversation before we hit the record button on our love of audio. And, you know, I just fell in love with vintage stereos and I've learned more about, um, science and electricity from working on these old stereos than I ever did in school ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You better know what a capacitor is for real. <laughs> right. Now I want to figure out what, how to make an oscilloscope work and all this kind of stuff. Right. It's that's like, right. That's oh, right. So we've got it, we've got it backwards. And I think that's the thing we, we missed the boat when we, we stepped away from, from Deweyism. Uh, it's really about knowing that learner well enough to know, see where their spark is and then gently bring those things to them and projects and opportunities that, that will then drive the rest of that learning and really be the fuel in that tank. And, you know, what we got after 1918 from, I think it was like Edward Thorndike was basically the middle managers won and we had the administrative mindset kind of take over the responsibility of education and the administrators wanted to do things in, a, in an efficiency model way and standards. So we really lost out to people who really thought deeply and understood how learning works. And, you know, so we're trying to pull that, we're trying to pull back to on that. And I know that you, you're very, you're doing that work. And I think that's the work of this podcast. I was listening a few weeks ago to Karen Pittman talking about her work and it's really saying, saying, Hey, you know, learning is, is relational. It's this, this amazing dynamic experience that, that can't be broken down into, uh, okay, today we're focusing on this one standard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for listeners wondering about this sounding all hippy-dippy, I want to reemphasize that you brought in Agile as, as a structure and a team building, you know, a team thing. And I was reading recently, uh, 70% of all organizations use Agile. So these kids are getting very practical you know, skills that they're going to use after high school, just related to knowing agile and then being able to add curiosity and agile, the structures of agile creates for, I mean, that just sets kids up or people up for some amazing learning. Yeah. Just reminding the, the listeners that if they think this is just some hippy dippy stuff that I mean, you're, you're tying curiosity in with some real solid tools like agile where, so you now you can take your curiosity and you have structures and processes to, to put it into action. And that I just don't, didn't want any listener to miss, miss that idea. Yeah. I really appreciate that. You know, I'm, I'm sensitive with a name like rock tree sky to having people think it's, it's some sort of hippie dippy type of thing. This is honestly very deeply considered, uh, by a lot of people who really focused on, on how young people learn and grow and thrive. And, you know, it goes all the way back to, to be Piaget, and what you know, we learned in our our childhood education classes around uh, you know that learning is an active process, and kids need to be involved in doing things with their hands. You know, kind of constructivism philosophy, 
And we, um, you know, we walked away from that because it was much easier to create uh, accountability structures that certainly got, um, you know, kind of forced down on, on the education world uh, that were, that, that tested things that were, were not deep learning. They were really, uh, you know, kind of wrote content standards and were questionable as to the longevity at which those pieces of information lasted, as opposed to what, what's, you know, anybody who pays attention to research will understand that there are durable skills that need to be developed, uh, that can last over time. You mentioned agile, that is a skill and an understanding of how to, you know, move through a project to its completion with a group of people. And if that's not a valuable, durable skill, I don't know what is in this day and age. All right. Well, we've talked about all the um, awesome things that you've been able to make happen. And I know you didn't get there uh, in a nice linear, no error kind of way. So what, what are some of your biggest lessons, which is my nice way of saying your wonderful mistakes um, in building Rock Tree Sky? What, what are some of the things that you learned along the way that, that might not have been so easy to learn? Absolutely. I, so I would encourage anybody who wants to build something like Rock Tree Sky to do it because uh, it is worthy work and the relationships that you'll create with uh, the learners and the families uh, will last the rest of your lifetime. Now, uh, here's some some bits of, uh, of learning that we've uh, had a, along the way. I think one would be to right away, as soon as you can, hire a bookkeeper, you know, get some back office support. Certainly, um, you know, I don't have a degree in business. I'm a teacher for goodness sakes. Uh, however, um, you know, early on my, my wife and I did all the books and we, we kept it going, but I, I would say that that would have been nice to offload that at a reasonable fee to a, kind of a bookkeeping service just for some balance and sanity. You know, we would come home and do a lot of stuff at home in the evening and I think that uh, that that's something that I would I would offload a little sooner. Find some of those people who are experts in the back office support areas. Um, so that that would be one piece of advice. Uh, another piece piece of advice would be um, thing that we learned is uh, you know it's it's beneficial to have somebody who's if, you know in your community if you're going to create a space like ours. It's beneficial to have somebody who may have been in system before, have somebody who's been a teacher who, who however, truly uh, understands and believes in a more learner-centered approach. Uh, somehow, you know, we have this uh, authority bias, right? And people, um, you know, when it comes to learning, people believe teachers just are the know-all, be-all. And, and while many of us are, you know, all of us are in it for the right intentions, um, you know, there, there are a lot of things that, that we aren't allowed to do, or maybe we've forgotten. So having a teacher can be beneficial, um, to create a little bit of, uh, uh, handholding for members as they, they, they maybe step into, uh, kind of this blended model, uh, approach, this hybrid model of, of learning. So that, that's good. And then the other thing is I wouldn't be afraid, uh, if you're creating a space like this to reach out to your school district sooner. I mean, to me, our transition from, from having most of our families with these homeschool charter school programs, these independent study charters in the state, to getting them over to work with our district, you know, was, was really valuable on a number of fronts, uh, both, you know, that the, you know, that, that state money was now coming in to our local community 
uh, supporting you know teachers in our community uh, to access to the teachers in a in a much deeper and richer way. And then for anybody running a program like Rock Tree Sky, you know now you have a relationship with folks that are, you can go down to your local board meeting and be involved in your school board and be able to talk about what's going on in this wonderful partnership program, as opposed to it being, you know, a homeschool charter school entity that may be operating two counties over, you know, so I just love, um, so I would say reach out to your local school district because there's an opportunity, um, you know, to, to one, bring some learners, some students into their district if they're in declining enrollment, uh, which I think in California, 50% of our school districts are currently experiencing declining enrollment. So, you know, it's, it's a nice way to, to bring the unschooling, homeschooling families a little bit back into the fold, those that want to be a part of their local system. Nice. All right. Well, we're rapidly running out of time, but I do want to touch on one uh, topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts, I know. Uh, and Rock, Tri- Rock Tree Sky seems to be the uh, a fantastic model for this whole idea of ecosystems, of getting kids out of buildings and into their communities to learn. And uh, you know, I, I guess I'm just curious on your take and why was it so important for you to devote so much time to thinking about what ecosystems can look like for communities and for Rock Tree Sky? Oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, if we get this right, Trace, I feel like, you know, you're healing the whole community uh, because, you know, you're getting kids out into the community. One, you know, that they, they get to go do something that they're deeply passionate about. Teens especially need real challenges. I, I, you know, they languish in this world of these false challenges that we give them in our classrooms and they're ready to do work. They're ready to be contributing members of our community. And so, you know, it's a mistake to not get them out there. So getting them out there, they're motivated uh, to do meaningful things. There's this positive feedback loop. And then the community also gets to meet these young people who are funny, curious, passionate, you know, and, and dynamic. And it, it, it shifts that perception. And, you know, it, it's, you know, instead of a, a business owners or different folks being afraid of the teens, uh, you know, now it's, it's a totally different relationship. We have uh, several of our teens are, are doing work with some businesses at our local farmer's market. And I had a uh, one of the the vendors come over the other day when we were at the farmer's market and tell me, your teens are great. I love them. They're, they're hilarious. They, they talk to people. Um, you know, I, I think they're actually helping sales, you know, so that's, you know, so in that sense, it's, it's really important um, to kind of close the loop a little bit on the community and, and get things out of being in the silo. So I, I love the model. I, I certainly think that anything that they do out in the community um, when you bring it back, it, it gives a meaning to, as you, as we were talking before, it gives a meaning to something to write about, uh, something to reflect on. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's life-changing, you know, for, for the teens, we, we had one of our teens the other day, um, say that, that she is so proud of the person who she is. And this is a teen who's been working out with this thing called organization called the crew in Ohio. They do like trail maintenance and things like that. And so on her off days, she uh, works some time with them. And she said, 17 year old young lady said, I'm really proud of the person I am right now. And I don't think I would have been had I stayed in the regular high school. And, you know, when you're hearing that, then that's, I mean, you know, your work here is done. It is, 
you know, Gary Steger, who's an educator I love, who says, uh, hey, we're not we're not selling linoleum here. You know, these are these are children. This matters. And so so it's really beholden on us to do that extra work, put in that time to try and get it right. And if if our education system is not meeting the needs of all of its learners, then it's not done yet. And, and we have work to do. So that's that's to me the work that Education Reimagined is doing so well in building out this ecosystem model. And, and that's why I'm all in. And I, and I promise, you know, everybody out there that we're going to get this done. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jim, as always, it's a, been a pleasure uh, getting to visit with you again and learn more about Rock Tree Sky. Uh, makes me want to move out to Ohio and uh, come up <laughs> with some cool lessons and work with some kids. Oh, well, I'll tell you this. The next time you're nearby, I, I really, really would love for you to, to come by uh, and, and say hi if you're ever in Los Angeles or Santa Barbara. You know, anybody out there. You know, we're, we're pretty close to both those locations. So hit us up and, and come see what, what this learning environment looks like. All right. Well, thanks again, Jim. Take care. You're welcome. Thank you, Chase. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 